0: Welcome to the Podglomerate. For everything that you were too afraid to ask at home, too embarrassed to ask at school, or was just too hard to ask your partner, welcome to The Sex Wrap. Hi everybody, and welcome back to The Sex Wrap. I have some exciting news for you today. I am very sad that Andrew's not with us today, but I have a repeat guest back on the show. Hey, Anthony.
1: What's up?
0: (laughs) Dr. Anthony Santella is here with us today, one of my best friends and an amazing co-researcher and professor at Hofstra University. Um, Anthony, tell us a little bit about yourself. Sure,
1: um well, thanks for having me. um It's always a pleasure to speak to people about sexual health, particularly prep, so I'm excited about today's conversation. um I've been working in sexual health for the last fifteen years, both here <sighs> locally and with with you uh, abroad in Australia and my most recent interest as it relates to prep is with looking at prep facilitators and barriers amongst suburban populations. For those of you that don't know, Hofstra is located about 20 miles east of New York City in suburban Long Island.
0: Cool. Thanks, Anthony. Um, So Anthony did do a show with us, um, I think almost about two years ago now. And it was just um, when the sex rap was pretty new. It was a little baby episode, um, a little baby podcast at the time. And uh, we talked on that episode about what PrEP is. So if you are already thinking to yourself, what is PrEP? Why? What? What is this thing? First of all, we have a whole episode on it you can go back and listen to. Um, but yeah, we're going to be talking a little bit more about PrEP today in a different context. Um, so I'm super glad to have you here, Anthony. And today we're going to be asking the question, why aren't people taking PrEP? So let's just do a one-minute review of what PrEP is. Do you want to do it, Anthony?
1: Sure. So PrEP stands for pre-exposure prophylaxis. So we use the acronym PrEP uh, just to make it easier. Uh, so it's P-R-E-P. Uh, everything's capitalized with the R being lowercase. Um, and it's a Food and Drug Administration-approved pill that people who are HIV-negative take to remain negative. Um And while for the past five years or so that it's been approved by our government here in the U.S., um, we've had largely one pill, Um, the pill, there will be a kind of a new version of the pill next year, along with a generic version. Um, But it is a pill that people who are negative take to stay negative.
0: Yeah. So it's a pill that helps prevent people from getting HIV, which is totally cool. It's a, another form of protecting yourself. So we talk about, you know, all the different ways that you can protect yourself. You can use condoms, uh, you can use PrEP. And then, you know, for other things, uh, we have vaccines and we have other ways of preventing um, other sexually transmitted infections as well. So we like to on the show talk about, you know, all the things you can put in your toolbox. And so today, we're really talking about, you know, why, why don't more people take PrEP? Because we have this amazing invention now that is um, available in the U.S. and in many countries. Do you know how many countries PrEP is available in now?
1: I don't know off the top of my head, but that's an important point that, you know, every government, uh, every country's regulatory bodies does have to approve PrEP. Um, and so you know, in most kind of high income developed countries, it is available. We're starting to see a a slower uptake in low and middle income countries.
0: Mm -hmm. Yeah. Great. So, um, so we know that it's available in a lot of places, but we still haven't seen this um, like huge jump in people actually taking PrEP. And so One of the questions that, um, I think a lot of people have is why not? And that's, um, just kind of a general question people have, but even, uh, among, you know, academics and among providers, we're all wondering, you know, why aren't more people taking this? And, um, So Anthony and I have done some research related to this. And so what we're going to talk about today is some of our research, but also just kind of some of the broader ideas around why people might not be taking this and what we can um, maybe do about that. So Anthony, why don't you tell us, um, what what are, first of all, the priority populations of people that should even be thinking about taking PrEP?
1: So... PrEP are, is for people who are HIV negative and have some level of risk for PrEP. So it really is not for everyone who's negative. If someone's in a mutually monogamous uh, relationship, um, if someone is not sexually active, if someone is consistently and correctly using condoms, PrEP probably is not the right tool in the toolbox. However, if someone is in a discordant relationship, whether it's casual or regular. So that means when one person's HIV negative and one person is living with HIV. That's what we call serodiscordant, positive and negative together. Or if someone is actively engaging in sex work. If someone has um, uh, a number of sex partners or kind of has a lot of casual sex partners. If someone doesn't know the sexual, uh, excuse me, the HIV status of their sex partners if someone ha, um, is a person who injects drugs or has sex with people who inject drugs, any level of risk, more or less the same risk that puts someone at risk for contracting HIV to begin with would be a good candidate for PrEP. Um, and you know we know that while the initial FDA indication was for one pill once a day, a lot of people have trouble with that. And so adherence is a big issue. And in fact, some organizations, including the New York City Department of Health, um, are now advocating for what we call a two one one strategy. And so instead of taking one pill once a day, if someone is in a position where they're having more planned sex, then 211 would apply to them. And 211 basically means you take one pill 2 days before sex, one pill 1 day before sex, and one pill 1 day after sex. And the reason that 211 stri- the 211 strategy came about was because people have trouble taking medication. Think about the last time you had to take an antibiotic for 10 days. You know, after a week we kind of slip off, I forgot, I fell asleep, et cetera. So imagine taking a pill for a long period of time, that can be pretty challenging.
0: A lot of women do take a pill a day, (laughs) but yes, it is hard to remember to, uh, you know, take a pill every day, I guess. Um, so the thing that you're saying that's interesting. So first of all, people should only be thinking about taking PrEP if they're at risk for contracting HIV in some way, but there's a lot of ways people could be putting themselves at risk. Um, like you said, if they don't know what, whether their partners have HIV or not, or whether they do know that their partner does have HIV or they're using drugs or having sex with people using drugs. So there are a lot of groups of people that are candidates for going on PrEP. Um, and then, um, I, I think let's, uh, let's talk, another time about the different strategies for remembering to take it or different styles of uh, taking prep. Um, I really, cause I really want to focus in on, you know, what, what is keeping from people even really kind of considering this as an option, because there are so many people that are at risk.
1: Right. And I mentioned that, just for that, right? That same reason is that someone be like, "Wait, I take a pill every day to protect myself." I don't think so. That's not something that interests me. I just I live a really busy life. I can't. It's just mm. I know myself. That's not something I can keep up with. Um, and just as a side note, you know, there and we don't we, we won't talk about it in depth, but you know, the pharmaceutical companies are thinking of alternative delivery methods for just for that reason. So just, just a couple of months ago at the International AIDS Society meeting, there was some data presented that an implant might be the next form, just like we do with contraceptives, where someone can have a really small, um, you know, couple inch plastic tube implanted under their skin, and the prep would be delivered over the course of a year. So these kinds of things are kind of novel ways that, um, uh, researchers are trying to develop in order to get around that. But like I said, so I said that because some people that, wait, I got to take a pill every day. <laughs> no, nope, sorry. Not, not doing that. Yeah, yeah.
0: I mean, I, well, it's interesting that a uh, strategy that you were talking about the two one one, because I feel like a lot of sex is unplanned. So having this idea of taking two pills two days before having sex, um, I feel like that's actually even more difficult planning than <laughs> taking a pill every day.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And that, that's why, you know, a lot of people think, oh, my God, 2 on one that's like great. You know, people have to take it every day, but it's not for everyone. Mm. It might be right for some people. And then even if you do have planned sex, you know, what if you are having sex Friday night and Saturday morning? How do you figure out the 2-1-1 based on those two um, you know, episodes of sex. So it's, it's much easier said than done, but I think it's getting a lot of hype out in the community. Mm-hmm. And it's something we just have to be careful of because what we don't want people doing is saying, well, I'm only having sex on Friday, Friday night, so that I'm going to take prep just on Fridays. This mm-hmm. doesn't, it doesn't work like that. It's not approved like that. Um, we don't have research that supports it's protective when it's just taken in isolation like that. So when in doubt, take it, you know, the one pill once a day. Um, and while you, we may think that that's easy for everyone, regardless of your gender and race, and ethnicity, it's not the case. So for example, um, just last year, the CDC, which is the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention, our nation's public health agency, which has done a lot of work and spearhead a lot of work around um, PrEP uptake, found that uh, there were discrepancies between PrEP prescriptions and actually, uh, you know, people being prescribed PrEP and actually, you know, going on the prescription and those variations, those differences were lower for people who are female, black and Hispanic. So there was a greater number of people who are female, black and Hispanic who were prescribed PrEP but never went on it. And so what kind of messages do we need to think about that are targeted for those communities? And why are they maybe expressing interest, but then not taking the next step with actually going to get the prescription filled? So, you know, it's not a one size fits all public health message. Um, and so we need to kind of tailor it to, you know, these different communities if we're really going to see our hope that, you know, uh, increase the impact of PrEP in the United States.
0: Yeah, so I know in some of our research we've heard from um, people that one of the reasons that they don't want to take prep is because of what other people will think. Can you speak to that a little bit? Yeah,
1: so there's a lot of stigma within the risk community. So whether it's you know gay man to gay man, sex worker to sex worker, heterosexual woman to male partner, it doesn't really matter. about what does it mean to be engaging um, or having a sexual relationship with someone who's on PrEP. So for example, you know a lot of the gay-oriented apps will now, as part of your demographics, not only ask about HIV status, but also ask about your PrEP status. And so if I'm on Grinder and I see someone who says they're on PrEP, am I going to not start a conversation with them or think about hooking up with them because I see they're on PrEP? Now, the person who's on PrEP may say, you know what, I'm taking responsibility for my sexual health, and I'm proud of that, and I want to promote that, versus other people think, you know what, that person's on PrEP, they're probably having a lot of sex with a lot of different people, they're at higher risk for an STD, why would I want to do that? (laughs) And so there's this dilemma here, where like, you know, are you that person who's going to be the proud person to, you know, be on PrEP, or are you going to be that person who's going to be having this discriminatory attitude towards someone just because they're on PrEP? And there's a lot of that back and forth. Mm-hmm. And it's not something that we necessarily had planned when PrEP was first rolled out. Cause we thought, you know what, it's a prevention tool. It's some, you know, it's, it's, um, an effective a way of preventing HIV transmission, not for us CDs. And, um, but, you know, there's this kind of uh, conversation happening that some people are like, you know what, uh, talking to their partners or, you know, people they want to hook up with about it. And some people are just like, nope, next, next, next. I have plenty of options. Why would I want to do that?
0: This is so interesting to me because, for example, you. Um if a woman is on the pill to prevent pregnancy and she you know told people she was on the pill i don't think that other people would think Oh my God, she's such a slut. She has so many partners. She's hooking up with so many people, <laughs> and this is a similar thing. You know, someone's trying to prevent something um, from something that's going to be an effect of having sex, and there's this idea that they're uh, promiscuous or slutty in some way, and then that makes them uh, not uh, a good. There is point. one difference,
1: though. There is one difference, and correct me if I'm wrong, but you know, people go on contraceptives, women go on contraceptives for a whole host of reasons, right, um, which includes but is not limited to um, birth control. Um, and, you know, some people may not even be sexually active and continue to take birth control. Right. So it did, you can't paint a full picture about a woman's sexual reproductive health care. No knowing she's on in the pill. However, of course PrEP, we
0: shouldn't we shouldn't paint a full picture of anybody based on one I piece know. of information. I, I, I,
1: I, I'm not justifying <laughs> it or supporting it, but that's the, that's the kind of thinking there. Versus yeah. with PrEP, a provider really should not be prescribing someone PrEP unless they present themselves at higher risk than the quote unquote um, uh, average uh, you know adult and so there is um there is something more to be said about something someone being on prep versus a contraceptive but yeah there are a lot of parallels there
0: yeah i mean the idea is that um you you actually don't know what anybody's doing whether they're on some type of preventative a uh, drug or not, right? So, if somebody's on prep and they're protecting themselves, like making an assumption about what their sexual behaviors are, uh, doesn't actually help you. Like, you don't actually know what their behaviors are. Um, similarly, I mean, you wouldn't be able to know, you know, why a woman was taking, uh the pill or how many partners she had or who she was having sex with, you know, just based on the fact that she's on it. Um, but then when we're talking about people who maybe aren't on PrEP, but they could be engaging also in like quite significant risk behaviors and then, you know, would actually have a much higher risk for contracting HIV. And so it's interesting that there's the stigma or this discrimination around people who are, choosing to protect themselves or maybe, um, even, you know, some idea of stigma around that because when people are choosing not to protect themselves and not talk about it, that certainly doesn't mean that they're <laughs> safer or a more, yeah. um, safer kind of, uh, partner choice, right?
1: Well, yes, that's, that's certainly true. But, you know, if you think about, um, you know, birth control options have a long period of history in this country. We go back to the 60s. So this has been a growing issue, an evolving issue in terms of uh, sexual reproductive health. You know, we've had a long period of time to kind of deal with that, deal with the issues and kind of normalize contraceptives. PrEP really, you know, was approved five years ago. And talking about wide-scale implementation has really just been the last couple of years. So this is a new biomedical technology that we aren't really used to as a, as a community yet. So, you know, I would expect there to be some resistance, some hesitancy, some stigma, some discrimination towards it because something really new and it's tied to sex. So if we have the same conversation in five or ten years... I hope we'll be talking about new and novel methods for delivering PrEP, how PrEP has changed and helped end the HIV epidemic and its contributions towards that. So I think the conversation will evolve over time. I think we're just, you know, in infancy stages.
0: Yeah. Okay. Well, let's take a break just for a second and hear from our sponsors. Welcome back, everybody. So we've been talking about um, some of the stigmas, uh, real or imagined, you know, that are around PrEP and some of the reasons people um, might be nervous to go on it or even just to tell people they're on it. Um, what about uh, from the provider side? So you started to talk about providers, people that are writing prescriptions for PrEP for people. Um, what a, what's going on there?
1: So, the first thing is, you know, any provider who has prescription um, authority can prescribe PrEP. Nurse practitioner, PA, physician, you do do not have to be an HIV specialist or infectious, boarded in infectious diseases. Um, Any provider can prescribe it. That's a misconception about PrEP, that you have to go see an HIV specialist. The second thing regarding providers is, not every provider feels comfortable having conversations about sexual health. I know that seems kind of like a duh, Um, Mm -hmm. but especially in the primary care setting, you know, think about all you listeners, the last time you went and had a comprehensive uh, physical exam, hopefully you're doing that on a yearly basis, Mm -hmm. you know, how did your, did your provider bring up anything related to sexual health? Did they ask you if you're sexually active, who you're sexually active with, what forms of protection you're using? You know, what are you? How often you're getting tested for HIV and STDs? What you know? Where are you getting tested? You know? Are you having just? Are you peeing in a cup? Are you having Mm site-specific testing in your throat and your rectum? You know? All these kinds of things are not regular conversations in the primary care setting. So knowing that, why would we expect primary care providers to be you know doing a lot of prep initiation Mm -hmm. and they're not? And so. Part of that is like, well, okay, yeah, how can we change that? Or let's, you know, funnel people who are just in prep to HIV providers or infectious disease providers. Well, there are not a lot of them. And if you think about the distribution of providers around the country, there are places, especially in the southeastern part of the U.S., where we have these prep deserts where even if you are uh, want to go on prep and you're kind of committed to the process and taking the pill, you may have a long way to go before you can find someone who is willing to prescribe PrEP. Mm. And even where there are a lot of providers, I'll just take my own example here on Long Island, where we have, you know, we're a densely populated area with a lot of providers. You really don't have to go more than a couple miles to get to any one, you know, primary care provider. I have people telling me all the time, you know, I'll, I asked my provider about PrEP and they said there's no such thing as an HIV prevention pill. What? So you would think, you know, five years after a rollout that this is a kind of a widely um, known about kind of uh, sexual health preventative uh, tool. And that's not the case. You know, most providers, particularly primary care providers, they get to pick and choose what areas of continuing education they have. Mm-hmm. So if you went to medical, if you graduate medical school 5, 10, 15, 20, 25 years ago, and, and sexual health is not an area of particular interest for you, you may have no idea that PrEP even exists. And then you have, if you have someone showing up to your office and asking about it, like, "What? Like, I don't know anything about this. Go see an HIV provider, you know, an HIV provider. So part of it is just lack of knowledge on the medical provider community.
0: Okay. The,
1: second thing it, the second thing is, you know, it assumes that there is a provider who you can easily get to. So, you know, if I have a student recently tell me, yeah, I know where I can go get PrEP near us but I don't have a car and it would take me two and a half hours to go that six miles to take, you know, three different buses and walk a little bit. I'm not going to do that. And so part of the push I've been doing here on Long Island is to get the college campus health centers initiating prep. Um, Which and they
0: could already write a prescription for it, right?
1: Yes, because so they- they're largely staffed by nurse practitioners who can prescribe prep.
0: So the and problem the is college, just that they don't think of asking people about it or people don't think to go there about it?
1: Both. Um, part of it is just the kind of logistics of being on a college campus, you know, with camp, a lot of campuses being closed in the summer. And if someone needs assistance, how do you do that? Um, but the American College Health Association, just this past January, uh, put out some detailed guidance on implementing PrEP in the college campus community. Mm-hmm. Um so we have to make it easier for people to get access to the providers. And then the third major component, I, I would say, is the kinds of interactions you have with the providers. So even the provider who you can get to and is willing and knowledgeable about PrEP, what's that conversation like? So there is you know a fair amount of evidence that shows that some providers are like, I don't really want you going on PrEP. PrEP is going to encourage condomless sex. PrEP is going to encourage you being kind of, having a lot of casual sex partners. I want you to have a positive sex life, and that means having one partner and always (laughs) use a condom. So there are a lot of different facets to the provider conversation and community that, again, have made it challenging for many people.
0: So you talked about providers not really knowing about it or not really having a lot of information about it, and it sounds like they can also have some misconceptions about um, Mm – Both why it's used and who it's good for and some of their own kind of stigmas or, you know, attitudes about it that they're kind of putting on, whether they're talking to somebody about
1: it. Yeah. And, you know, there's been a lot of um, uh, organization and advocacy from local and state health departments, the pharmaceutical company that makes uh, PrEP to. Uh, address these provider barriers. And, you know, we've made some progress, um, but, you know, it's continuing to be difficult. And if you think about the earlier conversation about the stigma within the at-risk communities, and now you add the provider issues on top of that, you can imagine if you're like the quote-unquote, you know, uh, regular at risk person out there who's interested in prep and you have to deal with all this stuff from your, 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 the people who are in your community and also from your provider, <laughs> no wonder why people are choosing not to go on it, mm. you know? And so, um, things have improved We're just not at the place where I would expect, um, high uptake because it's just unlike many other things in the medical community.
0: Mm. So um, what do you think that we should be doing about this? Or what, what are you doing maybe in some of your work?
1: So I think one, one way to address the issues both from the community and provider and from the providers is to think about alternative strategy and support systems for people who are interested, uh, uh, you know, interested in PrEP and on PrEP. And one way to do that is to engage their peers. And so there have been some successful models, particularly out of uh, Chicago, that have looked at the role of peer change agents in terms of getting people who are interested in PrEP on PrEP and people who are on PrEP to continue on PrEP. So what, what are, who are those people who you identify with that are around your same age uh, and share other kinds of similarities, whether it's by gender, identity, sexual orientation, race, ethnicity, et cetera, who can provide you a support system? Not necessarily, not a provider, not a researcher, not a clinician, et cetera, but someone who maybe has a lived experience of being on PrEP. Maybe just happens to know a lot about PrEP, you know, having gone through some trainings, et cetera. And maybe having a support system of someone who identifies similar as you may kind of give you that extra boost that you need to kind of fight off those kind of negative attitudes from the community members and those negative attitudes to writers. riders. So that's something we're hoping to try in the new year. Uh, you know, fingers crossed or are waiting on some <laughs> uh, an, uh, grant funding to come through. But I think it's something that could provide some hope. And then the second part of that um, is related to using online platforms and social media to disseminate more information about PrEP. Sure, if you're in New York City and you're riding the subway or in the bus, you're going to see a lot of promotional materials about PrEP and other kinds of sexual health messages. But if you're in the rest of New York State or in other parts of the country, you're not getting that message repeatedly. And so we need to do a better job of disseminating, you know, medically accurate, age-appropriate information about PrEP. Um, And so one way would, you know, one way obviously could be through social media um, and in referring people to some source that could answer additional questions, provide linkage, et cetera. So in New York State, for example, our state health department recently funded a major health system to establish and staff a dedicated PrEP hotline where there will be these PrEP specialists who can answer questions about this kind of basics about PrEP, link you to PrEP providers, answer any kind of questions around PrEP. And those kind of support systems will very much be needed, especially in places where, um, prep uptake has been slow.
0: Great. I mean, I think that, you know, there's a lot of things we can keep thinking about to, um, how to reduce specifically some stigmas within our own communities around this, because, um, we have, that's like where we all have some power, right? And we can all think about what we can do in our personal lives that is decreasing stigma, you know, around sex, around sexual activity, around protecting ourselves, like all of these behaviors that are, um, healthy behaviors, you know? And so I think that that would be a really nice way to close the show today is for us to think about, you know, what are things we can do? And, um, yeah, let's end with a, just the tip today. And Anthony, do you have an idea for, um, what, what could just, you know, any person who might be at risk or not at risk do to help in some of the stigma around, uh, taking prep?
1: Well, um, I have a few tips. <laughs> one is, <laughs> one is, um, if you don't feel comfortable having a conversation about sexual health, including prep, but it may not include prep with your primary care provider, it's probably time to find a new primary care provider. And I know that could be easy, much easier said than done depending on the circumstance that you're in or insurance or how young you are and if you're tied to your parents, provider, et cetera. But you should feel comfortable having an open, frank conversation with your primary care provider about sexual health. And like I said, that could include PrEP, it doesn't have to. That's number one. The second tip would be if you are interested about PrEP, um, there are tools and resources out there that don't necessarily involve you having, um, you know, uh, one-on-one conversation with PrEP. And so there's a lot of basic tools. So you can even go to whatisprep.org. That's a really good, uh, resource that has, uh, videos and explanations, both in English and Spanish, um, about, uh, what PrEP is. Um, and, if you happen to live in the great state of New York, um, in the third the third week of October, uh, the state health department is sponsoring um, PrEP Awareness Week, um, and this will be to kind of really just have a focused period of time for the one week where local health departments, providers, community-based organizations, universities, et cetera, are going to focus on getting the message out, what is PrEP? How does it work? Um, and if more jurisdictions, state, you know, states and local areas kind of focus their efforts on that, more people will know, more people will become interested. So if you're the person who's interested, I say, you know, have that initial conversation with your provider. And if you're someone who works in a health department or in a community-based organization, you know, perhaps your organization needs to invest a little bit more in just putting out that message Mm -hmm. regardless of Mm -hmm. who your community is, because PrEP really is for everyone. Mm
0: -hmm. Cool. I think that um, my tip would be for people to just ask more questions in general. I think um, we... We make a lot of assumptions, and I think that's one of the problems with stigma is making assumptions around what we think something means, right? When we see someone says they're taking PrEP and then what all assumptions go on. Instead of um, listening to those assumptions or believing them, maybe start to ask questions, start to ask people why they're on PrEP and why that's important to them and start to understand, you know, the intricate decision-making processes that people go through to make a decision like that. And, um, but I mean, that goes for like all types of sexual activity and behaviors and even orientations. If you want to understand somebody's story, like ask them questions about it. And that, um, I think will go a long way to start to deepen our own understandings and also, um, you know, prevent some of those stigmas that are floating so rampantly around our country and the world. Great.
1: <laughs> thanks for having me and I hope to come back sooner than later. Yeah,
0: thanks so much. And we want to hear from all of you. We want to hear your questions, um, your feedback. Let us know. Uh, you can call us at 413 i it. That's W-R-A-P. You can find us on any social media at the Sex wrap and you can contact us also at our email at the at gmail.com. So let us know what you think and we hope to hear from you all soon. Bye! Bye! For everything that you were too afraid to ask at home, too embarrassed to ask at school or just too af- blah, 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 blah.
1: Music for this episode provided by the ever elusive and mysterious Breakmaster Cylinder. The Pod a sonic universe.